Now, before we get going, I want to uh, let you guys know that Rachel and I had a chance to live out some biblical principles uh, in our home this week, and so I wanted to let you guys see a little bit of that. What's up, everybody? This is Dave. Uh, we're here at the Kibler House trying to live out some biblical principles. I've got my blanket, and I've got my pillow, and I am on the corner of a roof. It says in the Bible, in 20, Proverbs 21.9, better to live on the corner of a roof than with a quarrelsome wife. And, and speaking, speaking of the quarrelsome you wife... Like we said, living out biblical <laughs> principles... It actually does say, and that, that was my wife's idea, okay? That was not mine, okay? It does say that in, in the scriptures. But uh, in Matthew 7, 12, it also says this. It says, so in everything do to others as you would have them do it to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Uh, every, anytime you get more than one person, at, at some point, you're going to have conflict. Marriage is two selfish, self-centered people Living together, what could possibly go wrong, right? So there will, be, uh, there will be conflict, but there is a way to manage conflict. There is a way to argue in a way that glorifies God, and that is our goal today. Because every, if we are Christians, if we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, everything we do shouts to his glory and his goodness. Amen? So I, I had to step back and reevaluate, guys, why we're doing this series to kick off the year. I originally said that we were kicking off this marriage series because of the tough times that marriage had last fall and last year. Divorce rates were sharply up and everything. It was really bad. Kind of like an EMT thing. We got to shore up the, the marriages in our church and, 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 and everything to make, give us a strong foundation. And then I realized the purpose of this series this entire year is different. The purpose of this series is to bring peace in the home. That's it. Um, a, a, a mentor of mine told me the difference between a good pastor and a bad pastor. A bad pastor wants things from his people, you know, money or accolades or, or status or, or whatever, but a good pastor wants things for his people. And I want peace in your homes. I want peace in my home. That's what I want so zealously for all of you. And that is why we're doing this series. Um, the, the, that is the purpose of this series. The purpose of today is to bring peace in the home, okay? How many of you all would really like to have peace in the home? How many, to me, that is something that is beyond value. You'll do anything to have it, okay? So, but this, so to have peace in the home, the first thing we need to understand is that men and women communicate differently. Okay, I've even got a strong visual here. It is a high dollar, high tech thing, okay? See, men and women are different. I didn't know if you knew that or not. Did you know that God created men and women differently? He did it for a reason, because, because the parts of my personality and everything that are lacking and the parts of my wife's personality and everything that are lacking, so we make up a team. That's why Jesus said, you'll leave father and mother and you will become one flesh because you will be complete. You'll be complete in Christ. But that is, that is the why God made men and women differently. 
okay? But we have to understand that. That causes a lot of problem, a lot of conflict, and here is why. Because men and women do three different things. They process the world differently. They communicate differently. They use a different number of words. Check this out. Men, for all you ladies out there and all you men out there, this is kind of golden. I wish I'd have known this early in my life. Might want to write this down, okay? So men process the world using logic, okay? We want to know what happened, a phone call for us, is a, this is a perfectly acceptable phone call to the, for a guy, okay? Larry, what was the score of the game? 89-62, good, thanks, click. That's a perfectly legitimate phone call, right, men? That's, that's, yeah, that's it. That would not fly with the ladies. How are you doing? How's this going on? How did that win make you feel? Oh, really? Is that, and, you know, uh, I, I was told that the definition of a woman is someone who reaches for a chair when the phone rings, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so women do not, they don't necessarily process the world this way. Women typically process the world using emotion. Okay? So a man will, when he observes something, will try to figure out what happened, and a woman will try to, uh, well, the first impression, well, how it made her feel. Okay, so let, let's, let's take a, let's take a, a scenario. Um, you know, principal calls, kid got in trouble at school. Okay? Dad says, what did you do? Mom says, are you okay? <laughs> right? Plain, plain and simple. So which one is right? They're both right. They're both looking at it as, from the perspective that God created them to, to, uh, to look at it. But this causes all kinds of problems. We have to understand this. Women, um, your, your man is trying to figure out what happened. Men, your lady is trying to process how she's feeling. Okay, we have to understand this. Not, neither one is wrong. It's just the way God created us. The second thing is that when it comes to communication, men communicate, like we said, information. That is why we communicate. And if there is not information being communicated, we have a hard time understanding why you're talking. Okay? It, that's just the way, it, it's the way God created us. We are looking for information. Okay? And the, the, this is not primarily what women do. What women primarily con communicate to, and listen to this, men, is to connect. Okay, so this is why it is possible for men and women to completely miss each other. As a matter of fact, one of the funniest things, actually it's not funny, it can be really frustrating, is for a man looking for information, woman communicating, trying to connect with him, he sees no information, so he steps back. She senses a break in the connection, so she steps forward, and she chases him, literally or figuratively, around the house, trying to tell him things, and he's backing up, saying, why, why are you talking? Okay? This is, this is very true. So remember, remember, especially you men, especially you men with daughters, okay? Many times, your daughters will want to talk with you and tell you 30 minutes of nothing <laughs> because it's not about the information. It's about the connection they want with you. Many times, men, that is why our wives or our spouses or our girlfriends will spend so much time talking with us and, and from our perspective, seem like they're saying nothing. It's because they want connection. Okay, and this is why women, a lot of times where men won't say anything if they don't have anything to say. 
Well, what are you thinking? Nothing. Seriously, what are you thinking? Nothing. I'm looking at that carpet. We don't have anything to say. So, so remember that this is the way that God made us. Neither one's right, neither one's wrong. We have to understand that about each other if we're going to have peace in the home. Now, this one is my favorite. The average man uses about 8,000 words a day. 8,000 words a day, okay? The average woman, average, will use about 20,000, okay? And so when you reach your word limit, some of us men don't even get 8,000. Some of us only get like 100, okay? And so when we reach our word limit, it's like we've run a marathon. We're done. We're toast. We're, we're like a weightlifter that's reached his max, okay? We, we can't go on. So let's, let's take this situation here. This is a conflict uh, thing in the home. Let's say that, let's take the typical uh, uh, breadwinner uh, uh, dad and stay-at-home mom, okay? And so breadwinner dad has gone out and he's hustled in the, and, and, and worked his rear end off for the family in the, in the workplace, and he's used 7,995 of his words, okay? And he comes home. He's exhausted, in the meantime, his wife has spent time with the kids, and she's only used about two or 300 of them. And most of them have been, no, 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 you know, it's kind of thing. So at five o'clock, she's got 19,900 words to get to say before bedtime. And he's got five. So he sits down. And he is done. He doesn't want to talk. And she barrages him with her day and how, and, and he just says, whoa, hang on, whoa. Ladies, your man is not wanting to stay away from you. Understand this about him, okay? And men, your wife is not trying to nag you and not trying to overwhelm you. Just understand this, okay? We're created differently. And we have to understand that because once we understand these things, we can begin resolving conflict in the home. These things, a lot of times, cause conflict when they don't need to be. All we need to understand is this is the way God created us. Men and women are different, and when you understand that and work together, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing, okay? So we have to understand that. The second thing we have to understand is this, is that all conflict, all conflict stems from the perception that a need will go unmet. Okay? That's the source of all conflict, is that a need will go unmet. You have to recognize that the people in your home, especially spouses, are arguing from the standpoint that a need isn't, isn't met or perceived it's not going to be met. So whatever you're arguing over, that's at the source of it. We had an intern that worked with us a while back. He was in Bible college studying to be a preacher, and, um, and he, he was given a scenario um, of, that, that he was supposed to solve, uh, this hypothetical scenario, this pastor and this uh, elder, uh, the pastor came in and changed some things and the elder didn't like it and there's all kind of conflict and, and, this, and the case study was, how do you resolve this? And he, uh, he wrote that out and he let me, uh, he, he let me see it and, and saw his strategy, his long drawn strategy of explaining to the elder the mission of the church and, and going back to the original founding of it. And he said, I, and I even made a, a chart of the results we could have if we made these changes. And I was very, very academic, very well thought out. And I said, um, looks like you put a lot of work into this. Um, I'm sorry to say that none of that's gonna work. I said, see, this is where academia is gonna let you down. You've got a student, you, who's never been in a situation, being graded by a professor who's never been in a situation. And I said, this is actually a trick question. Um, 
At this point, in this, in this, there's nothing the pastor can do to resolve this conflict because the time to solve this conflict was two years ago, I said. He looked at me funny, so I said, what do you think, why do you think the elder reacted this way to the change? He goes, well, he's probably old, probably likes things, he's kind of stuck in his ways. He's kind of, I said, no, 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 that's not why. I said, he reacted that way because he rightly or wrongly perceived that a need of his was not gonna be met. You have to understand that. I said, because, and, and, and I said, now why did he perceive that? Why would this elder perceive that? I asked this, this Bible college student. And he goes, because there's no trust. I said, exactly. I said, exactly. The time to solve that problem, I told the Bible college student, was two years ago when the pastor arrived. He should have had that elder over to his house and begin developing the relationship and begin building trust. The time to solve that problem was two years ago when, when he should have conducted the elder's kid's wedding and done a, a, a great job of that and blessed his children. The time to solve that problem was last year when they served on the mission team together, on a mission trip together to build trust. You guys understand that needs, because uh, unmet needs and things like that are because there's no trust. That's why. And said, by the time the problem hits, if you haven't laid the foundation of trust, no technique or meeting or strategy is going to make a difference. And it's the same is true in marriage. Your argument really isn't about the thing you're arguing about. I found this. I mean, yeah, it sort of is. But underlying every conflict is the perception, whether real or imagined, that a need is not going to be met. Right? So couples need to understand that. What's underneath the conflict? Sometimes, it's, sometimes this perception is completely wrong. Sometimes it is. Sometimes the perception of the need being met is completely wrong, all right? And it's totally made up fantasy. I can see the guys out there saying, yeah, that's what I deal with all the time. Well, some of that may be true, guys. Maybe conflict in the home is arising from a, 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 a need or a, a perception from your spouse that a need is not gonna be met. Maybe that's legitimate. Remember, she's viewing you through that lens of trust she has in you. Maybe instead of complaining about it, maybe we can spend a little more time building trust. Remember, the best time to solve a conflict is two, time, two years before it happens. Invest in the relationship, invest in your spouse, build trust, and you'll be amazed how many needs uh, are, 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 are fine. Remember, spouse's history of his or her needs being met consistently will generally be a very reasonable person when conflict arises. Just remember that. However, conflict is inevitable, you guys. It's inevitable. Anytime two people are together. Um, uh, so we'll always run into communication destroyers, and these are wrong things to do when conflict occurs. These are the wrong things, things I don't want you to do, because these are things that destroy peace in the home. Don't bring it, okay? The first one is this, withdrawing. Withdrawing. The, the, the couple's pulling apart from each other, staying, giving each other the silent treatment. Now, that uh, kind of avoidance where, where the couple starts avoiding each other and they're not making eye contact, they're not being in the same room together. Now, now this destroys the kind of relationship God wants for you. Now, if, if you need, if you sense that things are going badly and you need to step away for a second, that's not withdrawing, okay? That's cooling off, that's different, okay? Withdrawing is a lifestyle. It's becomes, it, it becomes the norm, not the exception. The first thing is withdrawing. Second thing is escalation. We do not want to escalate. I, I read some research on this, guys. I, I'm, I'm really into this whole thing. I, I love the marriage. I love the family. I love this. This stuff is, I love it, okay? So I was, I, I'm such a nerd when it comes to this. But check this out. Um, men's heart rates go up twice as fast as women's do when arguing. It's not, it's just the way it is. 
I guess maybe the fight or flight kicks in with men a little bit more than women, I don't know. But research shows that when a man's heart rate reaches 100 beats per minute, remember this, 100 beats per minute, he is incapable of continuing the argument rationally. Okay, all right? So he will either act out or he'll say things in anger or even become violent or aggressive, okay? Just remember that. We do not wanna escalate. Escalating, getting back, getting back, getting back, and, and, and watching it rise up. We don't wanna do that. That's a communication story. But the third one is the killer. This is the number one destroyer of homes, of marriages, of relationships. This is it. Just call it belittling. Belittling. See, when couples start to belittle each other or hold their views in contempt, then the marriage is almost over. Philippians 2, 3-4, the Bible gives us a very different scenario. It says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Do you think that that does not apply in marriage? Husbands and wives, you are to consider the other better than you. You are considered in humility, value them above yourselves, not you above them. You see how countercultural this marriage is. It's amazing. It's the number one killer to marriage. It's taking the spouse's needs or their words and diminishing them, writing them off, blowing them off as irrelevant, stupid, pointless. That's what belittlement is. It's saying, that's ridiculous. Give me a break. That's stupid. You're completely wrong to feel that way. Those types of things. Even if your spouse is wrong, their way of discussing things without belittling, without communicating contempt for them. It's the number one destroyer of marriages. See, the problem with belittlement, though, is also communicated non-verbally. Okay? The problem is, is our face say things our mouth doesn't. Right? A roll of the eyes, a condescending chuckle, <laughs> a contemptible raise of the corner of the mouth. Serious. I'm good at this. I want to speak to the ladies here for a minute, because according to the marriage experts, not me, but the marriage experts, there's something that you all do more than the men out there. I'm not saying the men don't do this. I'm saying the ladies do this more. Are you ready? Don't try to parent your spouse. He's not your son. He's not one of the kids. And already I know what the ladies are thinking. Well, he certainly acts like one. Forgets this. Can't do that. I'm the only one that acts like an adult in the house. True, ladies? True? All right. Well, you just name the problem without knowing it. See, if that is what you're thinking right now, you are engaged in a vicious cycle and you don't even know it. The vicious cycle of treating him like a child and him responding like a child, so you treat him like a child more and he responds like a child more, okay? It's a vicious cycle that you and your home are in right now. Rachel and I were at uh, Mothers of Preschoolers, uh, MOPS program, um, at Port Memorial a few, a few months ago. It was really cool. It was me, Rachel, and about 50 moms. I was sweating, man. I was. I could feel the stares. <laughs> These mothers of preschoolers, they were, you know, you, you man, you and your kind. You are the cause of my stress and my problems. You did this to me. 
I could feel it. I was sweating. I felt like Custer, you know, at the last stand. Uh, it wasn't that bad, actually. But we, we did our talk and, and all that, and we opened it up for questions. And one of the questions centered around roles. They asked Rachel and I how we divvied up responsibilities in the house. What do you do? What, is he, what, what does she do? This kind of thing. And we just kind of looked at each other and basically said in unison, well, I, I mean, whatever needs to be done, I guess. Now, there's some things I know that I do. I know how to do them, like changing the oil. I like doing that. I like being in the garage. I like doing that kind of guy stuff and everything. And, uh, and, and I, 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 there are things that Rachel does because they take me 10 hours, and she can do them in half an hour, and she's just better at them. And I, you know, we, those, that, that, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about things like dishes, laundry, and, and, and I, I said this. I said, I don't do the dishes because I'm a man or because of my role. I do the dishes because I'm an adult. And the sigh of exasperation that emanated from the moms. It was incredible. One mom went like this. And basically seemed to be an ongoing theme with these moms was that they were tired of having to be the adult in the room. I wish I would have had time to really get into that, y'all. Because they were in a vicious cycle, it seemed like all of them, of feeling like the only adult in the room and acting like it. I found myself wondering what their homes were really like, y'all. Is the husband this insensitive clod, this lazy guy that sits around and does nothing? Is that really the way it is? Well, maybe so. We all know lazy people. I wonder if, though, the husband has tried to do things in the past and been belittled for his efforts. I wonder if he, if he tried to fold the laundry one time and was told that you didn't do it right. Everyone knows that you fold towels in threes. What kind of an idiot are you? <clears throat> Well, spouses, don't be surprised when your spouse stops doing what you criticize. If, if your spouse tries to load the dishwasher and you go behind them and redo it, what is your spouse learning? I'm out. And then the vicious cycle starts. I, I, your, your spouse attempts something and it's done wrong, so you redo it, so they stop. And then you criticize them for not helping. And then they help, and you criticize them when they do help. And so they don't help. You see how this vicious cycle happens? The belittlement and the contempt that is communicated is the number one destroyer of marriages. Belittlement, contempt. Remember, spouses, do not be surprised when your spouse learns what you teach them. If they try something and they get criticized for it, the chances of them ever doing it again go way down. Don't be surprised when your spouse stops doing what you criticize in them. Let's keep belittlement away from our homes. So guys, here is how, those are the things we don't wanna do. Here are the things that we want to do to how to argue without destroying our home. As a matter of fact, how can we argue to the glory of God, okay? The first thing is this. All people need to know this because everyone lives in a home. Check this out. Number one, take no offense when none is intended and 95% of the time, none was intended. Take no offense when none is intended and 95% of the time, none was intended. Proverbs 15, 18, the word of God tells you this, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. So I want to ask you, I want you to ask you, in your home, which are you? 
Are you the hot-tempered person that's stirring up quarrels? Or are you the patient person that's calming? And which one is appropriate for a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you the one stirring up the conflict, looking for things, purposely, purposely reading into what the person says to find offense when there's none actually there? I've seen people do that. To all the drama kings and queens out there, don't look for arguments. We live in a culture that's dead set on finding conflict, aren't, don't we? Seems like everybody just wants to, be, wants to be mad. Some people just aren't happy unless they aren't happy, right? Because we live in an increasingly graceless culture. And let's make sure that this graceless culture that we are finding ourselves in does not invade the church and does not invade our homes. Let's stand counterculturally against this graceless culture and let's be ones that extend grace to the people around us, especially those in our homes. One of the things that's taken Rachel and I almost 20 years, 25 years to learn is to deal with, uh, learn what to deal with and what to let go of. See, graceless people can't let anything go. They're looking for conflict. They're looking to be offended. It's like their identity. They're always being offended. They take offense when none is intended. Instead of holding spouses to every single clumsy word or every sharp word said when tired or stressed, were they intentionally trying to offend me? Probably not. Most people don't do that. Most people, some people do. Most people don't intentionally try to offend people, especially the ones that they love. But was that said to me in a hurt to hurt or in a mean spirit? Most of us are for honest. We'll admit that most of what we take offense over is stuff we shouldn't take offense over, if we're honest. Like we talked about last week, when you start seeing more negative in your spouse than is actually there, when that confirmation bias sets up, you're in dangerous territory. Take no offense when none is intended, and 95% of the time, none was intended. The second one is this, this is a big one, that we need to approach our spouse the way we want to be responded to. I learned this as a soccer referee. When a player questioned one of my calls, if he did it hollering and screaming, I wasn't gonna listen. He came up and said, sir, I have a problem with, I, I don't quite understand what you did here, I'd be happy to explain it to him. I tended to respond to the players the way that I was approached, and that is a universal law in, in, in life, okay? Listen to this, Proverbs 18, 19 says this, a brother wronged, another translation said, a brother offended is more unyielding than a fortified city. Disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. All right, so listen, humans are masters of communication, you all. We're masters. We are always communicating. We can pick up on the slightest thing all right, we're massive communication. God made us this way. We correctly perceive body language, tone of voice, etc., and we've correctly perceived the manner in which we're approached. Okay, I was talking with a couple one time, and the wife said, he always gets so defensive every time I talk to him. And I asked the husband, I said, is that true? The husband was just real quiet. And she said, I kid you not, I wish I'd had this on video. She goes, he asked you a question! And he blew up, and he yelled, and he and right back at her and everything. And I kid you not, it was the exact same tone she had used. It was the exact same body language. And when I say 100% identical, it was 100% identical. I was like, man, he responded to her the exact same way she, she approached him. 
And think about that. Was there going to be any resolution to that conflict? Like Proverbs 18 said, he is more unyielding now than a fortified city. You might as well try to take over Helm's Deep from Lord of the Rings than to try to get your spouse to listen to you once you've approached them that way. That's what the scriptures say. It's not my words, it's the word of God. And I pointed that out to her. I said, how you approach A lot of times how you responded to. Your biggest criticism of him is that he's always defensive. Well, do you wonder why? Listen, people, if people in your home are responding to you defensively, you might want to look at how you're approaching them. Because if somebody walks up to you on the street and he's walking towards you aggressively and puts up his fist, I mean, I'm going to respond that same way. Guy wants to throw down, right? That's exactly what happens in our homes. You can't approach with hostility and expect him not to respond or her not to respond with hostility, okay? We go in guns blazing, yelling, cursing, maybe name calling. Remember this proverb, brother wronged is more unyielding than a fortified city. You ain't getting nowhere. Remember, do unto others as you have others do unto you. How many of you all, when someone comes in, to you, uh, comes in at you, gun, guns blazing, yelling, hollering, screaming, cursing, you're like, oh, you know what, you're right. Gosh, I, I see the error of my ways. I see your brilliance. Teach me and lead me. <laughs> right? No. No, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. And here's something that I was told and is very, very, very true. Listen, y'all, never yell at your spouse unless the house is on fire. And 25 years of marriage, I've been through plenty of conflicts. We have. And I cannot think of a single one made better or was necessitated raising my voice. This isn't some random stranger off the, off the street. This is the love of my life. We don't yell at each other unless the house is on fire. Then that's okay. But only then. Number three is this. Always argue in person. In person. The problem with this is that this has destroyed more communication between spouses in the home than anything I've ever seen. It really has. Because 94% of human communication is nonverbal. Nonverbal. Never text argue. Never. Okay, you communicate contempt without saying a word. Okay? You really can. You, you, you can communicate without even knowing that, that, uh, that, that you're doing it. You can communicate contempt with this kind of thing. Use text for information only. I'm telling you this as someone who has learned this the hard way. Maybe not necessarily in the home, but communicating with people. Never text argue. This is what text should be used for. I'll be home at five. Can you pick up milk on your way home? That's all a text should be. Not, I can't believe you forgot to do the dishes. Thanks for sticking me with it, and you never remember to do anything. That should never be texted. Why? Because it can, it can be taken so many ways. I'm going to say two completely different things using the exact same words, okay? I'm going to read this text in two different voices and communicate two completely different things. Check this out. I can't believe 
forgot to do the dishes. Thanks for sticking me with it. You never remember to do anything, do you? Okay? Now I'm going to use the same words to communicate something completely different. I can't believe you forgot to do the dishes. Thanks for sticking me with it. You never remember anything. So when you texted that, which one were you sending? You see the point? Your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your family member may read it completely differently than you intended. And then the fight starts. Never argue over device, always in person. If you can't, if you can't be in person, at least phone call. Okay, that right there, so much of conflict is miscommunication, taking things the wrong way, and text messages and emails and everything like that are terrible ways to argue, do not do it. Number four, this is a huge one. Know what doesn't need to be said. Proverbs 10, 19 is one of my favorite Proverbs, and I think everyone should memorize it. It says this, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Here's a news flash for all of us but it's as much to me as anybody else. Not everything that pops into your mind needs to be said. I can't tell you how many stupid arguments and stupid conflicts I've had, I've been involved in over the course of my life just because I said things that just didn't need to be said. If I would have lived by the word of God, if I, would have, if I would have looked at, and when words are many, sin is an absence. So if I'm going to speak a lie, I'm going to be committing sin somewhere. But if I hold my tongue, I'm wise. I would have been, I could have saved myself so much heartache. I really could have. I can't tell you. Like I said, especially when I was younger. So much of what we think simply just does not need to be said. Most of what we think needs to go to the grave with us, never having been said. Okay? See, guys, wisdom is the ability to foresee the consequences of our actions, of our words. If I say this, what will the results be? And if you, and no good result could come of me saying this, then it's not really essential. Why say it? See, many times the things we say or complain about in, in our homes have a lot more to do with us than the other person. See, I, what I found is that my physical state at the time has a lot more to do with the problem than anything else. If I'm tired, if I'm hungry, if I'm stressed, a lot of times I make problems when problems aren't there. And I'm sure that you do too. Okay? And so a lot of times your irritability or your, your, the, the problem you see has a lot more to do with the fact that you're tired than the fact that there's actually something wrong. Okay? Know what needs to be said. I'm asking, and your spouse is asking, for you to be self-aware enough to realize your physical state before saying something that doesn't need to be said. Yesterday, I failed at this. Um, our daughter, Elsie, was uh, home, and, and I, I, I really enjoy cars. I, I, like, I, I kind of take that on myself to maintain, and, and, and the car needed to be washed and waxed. And I don't, How many of you all were outside yesterday morning? It was kind of cold, wasn't it? Um, well, the sun was out, so it kind of tricked me a little bit. So I was washing the car, and the sun was hitting one side of the car. It wasn't hitting the other. And so the sun was hitting this side, and it was great, but on this side, it started to freeze. The water started to freeze. 
And so I was like, oh, this is really bad. So, so I, I, I dried it off as best I could, and I even had Elsie turn her car around. So this side was in the sun. What did I do to the other side? Brilliant, right? So, so I, I was spraying wax on there, and I didn't get to it quick enough, and it started to freeze. Well, ladies, uh, us guys, we have a certain look for our cars. It has to look good. It can't be substandard. It has to be, if we're going to wash it and wax it, it's got to look good because, I mean, it, it looks terrible. And the wax started to freeze, and it froze in swirls and everything, and it looked terrible. And there was nothing I could do about it. Because I, I, I try, it, it just looked terrible, and, and I put in all this work and, and everything. Now my daughter's going to be driving around this car that, that looks terrible, and everybody's going to know that I did it. And I walked in, and, 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 walked in and, and I, I was extremely short with my daughter. She said you know, something, hey, hey, is it done? I said, yeah, it's not going to look any good, though. Gosh. So it says something like that. And I was just real short with her, real ugly with her. And... Um, didn't have anything to do with her. It had to do with the fact that I was upset. That was all me. And so I wish I'd have been self-aware enough to realize that, you know, I don't control the weather. And I, I wish I would have just said, yeah, it's do the best I could. But I didn't. I wasn't, I wasn't self-aware enough, and that was a problem. So uh, I hope that you guys learn from that. Know what needs to be said and what doesn't need to be said. Um, the fifth one and final one is this, is that when you argue and when in conflict, you remember that the problem is the enemy, not your spouse. See, so many times we see our, our spouse as the enemy, as the problem. They're the problem. Well, that's Satan trying to destroy your marriage. That's Satan trying to destroy your relationship. The problem is the problem. When in conflict, remember, the problem's the problem. When I counsel couples financially, one of the things I have to remind them that debt is the problem, not the spouse. Okay? And usually it's, well, he's the one spending it all, not sticking to the budget. And I said, okay. But until both of you see debt as the problem, you won't solve it. I say, if you keep seeing him as the problem or her as the problem, you're still going to have debt and you're going to destroy your marriage. Okay? It's so easy when conflict arises to see your spouse as the enemy. They're not. See, guys, what I found is something amazing happens when you're in conflict. And I've realized this just over the last maybe two or three years. It's taken me all this time, but I want you guys to hear this. Every conflict has the potential to generate intimacy. I'll say that again. Every argument, every conflict is like a doorway to intimacy. How does that work? Well, check this out. In 1776, 13 colonies were not united at all. Georgia had very little to do with New York. Virginia could care less about Pennsylvania. They were not united at all. So why did they join together to fight England? Simple. They had a common enemy. And anyone who knows anything about, about human psychology or human relationships is that a mutual enemy breeds friendship. Right? There's a saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Okay, how many of us have siblings? How many of y'all have siblings? Okay, how many of y'all fought with them as kids? Okay, all right, I like one person went, whoa, me, me, me. All right, but what happened when the neighborhood kid messed with them? Oh, it's on, right? 
you can't say that about my, my brother, only I can say that about my, right? And all of a sudden, you have a mutual enemy, and all of a sudden, you're close, right? Okay? It's just the way it works. And that's why every conflict is a doorway to intimacy. Because every, every conflict, you tackle a problem together. It's the two of you against the problem. You're, you're, if you're struggling financially, it's the two of you against the debt. And, and you see the debt as the enemy. You have a mutual enemy, and all of a sudden, it breeds intimacy, breeds friendship, and it brings you together. Every conflict, you all, is the opportunity for intimacy. So I'm going to ask you all, as people, as married people, as engaged people, as boyfriend, girlfriend, as single people, I'm asking you right now to reevaluate, to flip the cultural script and become countercultural and realize that every conflict could bring you closer to the person because that's what God wants. That's God's design for marriage. It's a doorway to intimacy. Don't miss it. And invite the band to come on back up. On the way to church this morning, I drove in my car. And I started thinking about conflict in marriage. And I started thinking about so much of, of what we do. And I know that there are people out there and joining us online and in here that are saying, you know, Dave, everything you say, I agree with it. It's just, I, we're just too far gone. I, we, we've dynamited the bridge, we've destroyed the foundation, we're, we're, we're just too far gone. Nothing that you say, that it's, it's over, it's too late. Well, I want to lovingly tell you that you're wrong. As I was driving today, I was looking out my windshield, and I want everybody to do something for me. I want everyone to get your arms up like this, and I want you to imagine your windshield, okay? I understand you may hit the person next to you. It's okay. Windshield. Everybody, say, everybody see windshield? Do, everybody do this. Everyone do this, seriously, okay? Windshield. Okay, now, rearview mirror. Windshield. Rearview mirror. Okay? The windshield is bigger for a reason. The windshield is bigger because we're supposed to spend more time looking forward. We are looking back. We need a rearview mirror. We do. We need to understand where we've come from. But if you try driving a car with a rearview mirror this big and a windshield this big, you're going to crash. Spend a little bit of time looking backward, but don't dwell there. Use a rearview mirror to see where you've come from, but let's get our focus on the windshield. Let's get our focus on where we're going. See, guys, my purpose today was to give hope. That's my purpose today was to give hope. I want to ask you to decrease the size of the rearview mirror, where you've come from, where your relationship has been, the mistakes you've made. I want, you to, I want, I want to decrease that, and I want you to increase the, the potential for where you could be, because that's how the Lord gives us hope, okay? That's my goal today. And if you need hope, if you need help, if you need encouragement in this, 
please don't stay silent. People that are online, talk to the host. People that are here, come talk to me. Sit down with me. I love meeting with couples. I love bringing peace to the home. Let us help. Let the church help. More than that, make sure that you are in prayer so that God can help bring peace to your home. You all, let's go get it done in our homes. Thou shalt argue with thy spouse the way thou would have thy spouse argue with you. Let's stand up and let's sing praises to this.